we're almost at the end of Revelation here, the end of the end. Uh, there's two more chapters left, and it looks like there's going to be two more messages left today and tomorrow if I can get through it. I think it can. But the title of this morning's message in Revelation 21 is No More Curse. No More Curse. That sounds pretty good, especially around Halloween when everyone's about curses and everything else. We get to think of No More Curse this morning. But if you remember, Revelation uh, was the Apostle John. He was exiled to the island of Patmos. And on that island, you know, uh, it was like a prison island. It wasn't a a great destination. It was like Australia used to be. Uh, But during his time with the Lord, Jesus showed up. And I think we all would hope that as we spend time with the Lord that Jesus should show up. I don't know that we want him to show up like he did for John that day and see him in full glory. I think John basically had a heart attack and Jesus had to revive him there. Uh, But he took John into the future, the future for him and even the future for us. And he showed us the end of the world as we know it, the great tribulation uh, where the world is judged. Uh, Jesus gave him letters to give to the churches to warn them of his time coming and their behavior. We saw judgment on the nations. Uh, We saw judgment for the sins of everyone without Jesus last week. We saw the, the reward for those with him at the judgment seat. But again, to remember that this whole book of Revelation, God gave the world for the past 2,000 years the ending to the story. He spoiled the end of the movie, so to speak, for everybody. Why? That they might not perish. That they might receive everlasting life. Because God does not want everyone to die. Although Revelation is full of death and destruction and judgment, God forewarns us of it that we might miss it, right? You know, you get the traffic alert on your phone or you get a weather alert and you get to miss it because you've been forewarned unless you go on and just ignore it. And today we're going to see a new heaven and a new earth revealed. We've seen a lot of things revealed in, in Revelation. That's the name of it, reveal, revelation. Uh, and remember that uh, a man named Chuck Missler said that the Bible says more about the end times than any other time in history. We think the Bible is all about the apostles, which it is. The Bible is all about the nation of Israel, which it is. The Bible talks about creation, which it is. But all of it points to a time coming. All of it points to a time when Jesus returns, when Jesus rules and reigns, and when we get to be with him. And we saw that where he rules and reigns on the earth for a thousand years. But again, that's not the end. What comes after is the end. And really, if we remember that the end is really just the beginning of all eternity for us. That the end of the world as we know it, as R.E.M. said, is not the end of the world. It's the beginning of uh, eternity future. So God, again, this morning, we ask that in your word, you would be the one that speaks to us all, that you would teach us and instruct us and really prepare us for the time coming. Uh, but also, God, prepare us just to be closer to you, to love you more, to spend more time with you, and to know that it's really all about being with you. It's not about doing things. It's not about being a better person, so to speak. It's not about having your best life now, as some would say. It's about knowing God, knowing you, and uh, being close with you. That's all you want, is to be with us. And so we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So just real quick, real quickly, I want to, we're not going to read the whole thing for time, but I want to step back in Revelation chapter 21, as we read it last time. We're going to look at verse 6. And Jesus said to me, John, it says, It is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give the spring of the water of life to him who thirsts. And we'll stop there. If we remember in John 4, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being weary from his journey, sat by the well. Remember, he said to the, the, the widow, he sent his disciples out to go get McDonald's or something for lunch, and he's sitting there at the well, and the Samaritan woman comes. Remember that she's not accepted by the people around her because she's a Samaritan, she's a half-breed. She's also had many husbands, as Jesus points out, so she's got this weird thing going on. She doesn't have as many friends, and the other ladies don't like her. And she's coming for water, and he asked, he says to her, um, uh, can I have a drink? Give me a drink. And she says to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no, de- no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus, in answer, said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And she said, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you think you're getting that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well? Uh, and so on and so on. And he says, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst again. Now she was focused on the actual water, the practical right in front of her. But he was saying, look, if you realize that I was the Messiah, the one coming, the one foretold, the one that our people have believed in, 
the one from God, the gift of God, he says that you would have asked me for a drink. And I bring that up because we're going to see a little bit more of that here today. But let's pick it up in verse 9 where we left off last time. Revelation 21, verse 9 says, One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the last seven plagues came to me and said to me, Come, and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, her light like a most precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great and high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the son of Israel were written. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, three gates on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. We'll stop there for now. We'll see in the beginning here that one of the angels comes to him, and the angel that comes to him is one of those guys that had the seven bowls of the last plagues. If you remember, we saw the last plagues in Revelation 15. Uh, but thankfully, this angel, at least for him, he has another job. And I think that as I read that, I think what a relief not to be set apart just to be the angel of the bowl judgment, but that you also get to announce the coming of this new city. Uh, but John says that he was carried away in the spirit. I think we, we gloss over that, but he was taken from one place to another in the spirit. I think that must be a cool experience. We see Philip uh, had that as well, that he was carried away from the Ethiopian eunuch. We've seen other prophets in the Bible. Uh, we kind of cast it away. Sometimes maybe we skip it over because it feels kind of sci-fi, that there's this teleportation going on. I think we're going to see a lot of things like that in Revelation that might make you skip over it, and that's okay. You don't necessarily have to. You read it once, and you don't have to dwell on it. But think about it, that these things are actually here, and these things are actually written in the Bible. And I think sometimes we want to believe, oh, that's impossible. That was just written, but that's what happened. That there are many impossibilities in this Bible that seem impossible to us in our practical mind. But when we consider them, and consider that God is greater than the earth, and God is greater than our minds, it makes a lot of sense. If we can come up with it for sci-fi, why couldn't God make it a reality, right? But anyway, I can't wait to be carried away in the Spirit at the rapture. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking, I, I kind of, you know, they say it's in the twinkling of the eye. But I hope that it's real quick because I'm looking forward to flying. I had a dream the other night about flying and I don't know, it may be a little slower for me. But the church, that we are his bride, that we as the church are, are Jesus' bride. And this place is adorned as a bride. This place is beautiful as a bride, dressed up, jeweled out, um, ready to go, uh, ready to walk down the aisle. And that this is our dwelling place. That uh, it's beautiful, it's adorned, it's a nice house. Ideally, you know, when you get married, you think about bringing your wife home to a wonderful house. I wasn't, <laughs> didn't have two pennies rubbed together, and I still don't have two pennies rubbed together. Uh, but I brought my wife home to a wonderful basement apartment uh, on the corner of Wiesner Ave in uh, Middletown, New York. And that's not a nice place. We, the bathroom, uh, the shower had a window in it. And you could hear and see the street corner where everyone fighting on it all the time from there. This is not that place. Jesus is a better husband than I am. Uh, but marriage is a picture of oneness in God of his, with God and his people, as we see in Scripture. Marriage is not an institution of government, although the government ratifies Christian marriage, right? It is an institution of God. And the main picture of marriage is to show the unity of God and his people spiritually. Physically, it's a man and a woman coming together and being one person. That you are no longer two separate lives, you are one life together. Uh, and really, this should be centered on God. We see in the world, and even as a believer, it's hard enough to make it work. But in the world, how does anyone expect to make marriage work without God's help? Marriage is hard, marriage is tough. And I think that's why people, so many people just go, oh, okay, I'll get a divorce for whatever reason. And that's a whole nother message. But it needs to be centered on God. And Ashley would know just how slightly off-perfect I am. Very off-perfect. But at our marriage, one of the things we sang was a song, Be the Center. Because we wanted Jesus to be the center of our marriage. Despite all, all we are and all we had done and all who we be, we knew that the only way it was going to work was that Jesus was at the center. But from that covenant with God comes a covenant of marriage, comes a home. And that home, whether it's in a basement apartment in Middletown or whether it's a mansion on, I don't know, a, a nice hill in Wyoming, I don't know. 
but a home should be established there. It's not just a nice house. I know many people with nice houses, but it's not a home. I remember in the movie Ferris Bueller, he talked about the home was like a museum. It was cold, right? But a house should be a home. And you can tell when you go in a, in a house, whether it's a house or a home. But a home should be established from that marriage. And from that marriage come children and children are raised in it. And family is the fruit of all these institutions work together. And from there, a society can be built, a functioning society. And I think in our day and age that this is why the government, this is why high thinking, uh, all of the modern enlightenment is against God, is against the marriage that he wanted. In fact, they're not even against marriage. They want to steal marriage and apply it to things that are not even close to being marriage. In fact, God would call an abomination. And it's against family. God wants to destroy the relationship with him. He wants to destroy the relationship of man and woman. And he wants to destroy the relationship of family. Why? Because this is how everything, this is what everything is built on. These are the things that God told Adam and Eve to do. Be fruitful and multiply. And society is, comes out of that. And society cannot exist without the family. Even a dysfunctional family is better than no family at all. And if the government thinks that it's better at raising kids, I say just look at history. And why would they can't even... All the government can do is raise taxes, right? I don't think that they can raise children. But it's interesting to me that only in our modern times has the world begun to adopt this. Even in wicked cultures of the past... Even in the Nazis, the Babylonians, the Romans, they all understood the importance of family. They all understood, I mean, whether they acknowledged it or not or lived by it or not, they weren't trying to break up the family because they knew out of the family came children and those children would grow up to become society. And so when our society says these things are nothing and they have no purpose and they uproot these things, you know we don't have much longer to go, for, at least for our society, the world may go on for another 50 years, I doubt it. But when our society begins to remove the foundations of even the home, we're doomed. Especially when others aren't, right? They're destined to take over when we're giving, breaking it down. But Jesus said in John 14, 1 through 6, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my, house, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Jesus said to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That Jesus went away. He's not here physically right now. The Holy Spirit is here. We're meant to be like Jesus on earth. Christian, little Christ, is, it was a pejorative from the Romans. That he's preparing a place for us right now. That in the Jewish culture, you'd be betrothed, and then the husband would begin to go and build onto his father's house and added a, an addition on an addition, a place for you guys to live. When he, and then he would come back one day, remember the story of the, all the, the virgins with the oil being ready for the wedding, and he would come and get his bride and bring her to this house, this home, this property that he's prepared for them. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. That the traditions the Jews had, whether they realized or not, was God-given to show what was coming ahead it was a picture on earth just like the temple of what was to come and revelation i would say is a bit like the zillow or the realtor.com listing you can go and look at the pictures of the things that are come you can see as we'll see the square footage and the acreage and what the property is like but we're not there yet in fact this house that we're in now we bought sight unseen not because we wanted to buy something sight unseen but because we had to we had sold our house in the Bitterroot. We couldn't get another house. We kept getting outbid, as we told you. We had to go back and stay with family in Virginia. And then our friend came, who was a realtor, and came, looked at this house, sent us pictures, and we bought it sight unseen. Even though the walls were teal, even though all these other things were, you know, just not good wall colors, we we're like, all right, hey, this is this is looks like a decent house. It's the only one available, the only one we can afford and make an offer on. And thankfully, Lord willing, she said yes, and we were able to beat the other people to it. But it wasn't like we had 50,000 houses and we had visited them all and picked the one we like. We just got the one we got. And in fact, I think Revelation is kind of like that as well. We don't really get a say in what the tapestries are in heaven or what the, the TV looks like in heaven. We get what God gives us. But just like I was confident that my friend wouldn't steer us wrong, right, this house isn't perfect, but I knew he wasn't going to give us a, a total dump, right? He knew what we were looking for. How much more trust should we have in God, knowing that exactly what we need, exactly what is going to be perfect and wonderful and the best place for us to spend eternity, especially when he's building it. 
He's not going to have any contractors to blame. I, contract, I'm sure whoever moves in here after us will blame me for certain things. Just like I blame the people who came before me. Like, why would they do it this way? We don't have to worry about that with Jesus. But as we'll see, uh, the new heavens and the new Jerusalem, they're coming out of heaven. It's like this gift from heaven coming down into the new creation. Uh, and can you imagine like John being on a high mountaintop? We have a friend who's about to give birth and she decided to go hiking in her sandals the other day up the top of Mount Helena. Uh, you know, I guess she's ready for the baby to come. But can you imagine seeing this giant city come out of heaven? Again, sci-fi. Picture Independence Day or any of these movies that are out now. Giant things coming down out of outer space and into the atmosphere. Uh, it's usually a scary thing. But this is a glory thing, a holy thing. And it says that this place has the glory of God in it. You know, when we build a, a city or a skyscraper, we try to show the glory of man in it. Trump Tower has got Trump's name all over it. He's trying to show the glory of him, right? When we have our home, we try and make it look the way we want. People can come and see the house and see what we're like just by seeing inside our house to some degree. Uh, and that's why sometimes we change things. We, the lady lived here before, that, these were her colors. These were not our colors. We changed them, right? And same thing with God. The things about this city reveal the glory of God. And in fact, it, it, it emanates God's glory in a light sense as well as we'll see. It was bright and radiant. You know, we were outside doing a fire pit the other night. And uh, we saw the Milky Way, planets, and stars. But I also pointed out all the light pollution that comes from Helena down there. And how you just see this glow of Helena. And how I'd rather look that way and not see the glow of Helena. But God's city is lighted within. And we'll see that it's lighted by God. That in fact there's no more sun needed. And all this push towards sustainable energy. Right? This is a perfect sustainable society. There's no need to burn any kind of fuel. There's no need for even the sun or stars as we'll see. Because God gives the light. And this light is clear. It's crystal light. Uh, you can kind of tell um, quality light bulbs from non-quality light bulbs. The light bulbs have different temperatures. Maybe I had to go shopping for that. You know, one of the, the fog lights burned out of my truck recently, so I got a replacement. I was hoping it was as bright as the old ones because the old ones were super bright. But I plugged it in, and it just wasn't as bright. And I'm like, oh, well, whatever it is with this. And I plugged in the other one. I don't think it'll be dim, but the other ones were, like, really bright. And I'm like, I don't know. I get stoked about flashlights and lumens. and So it was really disappointing for me. So you can see how much of a simpleton I am. But the light of this city is going to be pure, um, and it's going to be holy, and it's going to light everything well. Uh, there's no darkness there, as we'll see. But it has a great high wall. And I think that that's interesting, that even in heaven, there's a wall. <laughs> right? We don't want to build walls on earth, but God has walls even in heaven. And there's not even an enemy to keep out in heaven. I think the commentary talks about that this isn't some ethereal place. This isn't some spiritual plane where there's no dimension and we just float around like nirvana. But that there's this definition to the city. And we'll see the exact dimensions in a little bit. But that it's a real place we're going to. It's not floating on the cloud, playing the harp. You know, we've seen some cool harp videos on YouTube lately. But as cool as it sounds, that's not what I want to do for eternity. It's not what I, I think that's why people think heaven is boring. Heaven is not boring. There's a cool destination to go to. And uh, I know you think about driving on a long trip at night. You see a city in the far distance. It's relieving to know your hotel is coming or wherever you're staying or you're coming home. Um, the, Mia's read The Pilgrim's Progress and talks about the celestial city. Uh, you know, just this, this glowing uh, ray of hope coming, we can look to. We can think of this glowing beam in the future as where we're going. We're, we're passing through. Uh, but again, uh, this city also has a foundation. Uh, this foundation that, uh, and walls are only that those who God wants in are going to be in this city. And I think that's a relief because we put up no trespassing signs. We put up fences. We lock our doors. We do all these things because we only want people coming in that we want to come in, right? And we don't have to worry about that in heaven, but the point is that God is saying, you are all here because I want you here and because you wanted to be here. No one's there against their will either. You know, hell is immeasurably distant from us as believers at this point. And it's totally separated from this existence. So it's not, meant, not like hell is outside these gates. That's not what it's saying. But somehow I think if possible, maybe I'm wrong on this, I think it's a holy reminder. It's a holy reminder that this city was built on God. The city was built on the gospel. And the city was built for the people of God and only the people of God. But there's no burden of sin here. 
But we know that we're here because we're supposed to be here and because we were let in, that we didn't get in on our own accord. You know that walls are not wrong, that if you love something, you're going to protect it. That God loves us and he protects us and he guards us and he surrounds us. And he's not gonna, we're not going to have anyone have their way with our car, let alone our children or our wives. I think that's the worst part about society today is they want to do unspeakable things to children at the hands of the government and then separate the parents from them. Say the government knows better. But walls are not wrong. You're going to love it and you're going to protect something. That we lock away our most valuable things. The Bible says we need to guard our hearts too. That we need to lock away the most valuable part of ourselves as well. Right? We put clothes on. We also need to cover our hearts and not give it to just anybody. But the problem is today... In our world, we cast aside or mistreat the things that are truly valuable. And instead, we value what is filth. And we value what is worthless. You guys remember uh, NFTs? I don't even know what they are in networking technology. And they were worth a billion dollars one day and not a billion dollars the next day. It was just a, a, an image on a computer. These things that have no value, people are putting all their money in. But there's 12 gates, there's 12 angels, and there's 12 tribes of israel and again this is a great picture of the old testament that the tribes of israel were used to usher in the messiah the laws and commands of god were guarding this city in a sense as an entrance and the only way into the city was through them we remember that jesus was the one who fulfilled the law and the, and the covenants romans 11 i won't read it for time but you're going to get it later he talks about we as non-jews were grafted in if you're familiar with plants i'm not that familiar i you know i know what lettuce is and that's about it but you can break the branches off you can cut a branch off a tree and splice in another branch from another tree they get different varieties and different seedless and different combinations from that but he's saying that we were grafted in as unbelievers we were grafted into the jewish people right that the jewish people weren't done away with and god shows that they still have a, an important part in uh in christianity as the foundation for it but also for the foundation for the gates of these city. Remember we talked about with the kids, the flaming sword in the Garden of Eden, right? These angels don't have flaming swords to guard the way in anymore. They're the greeters. They're the doorkeepers. They're letting us in. Uh, but again, I want to think of this new city as being in a new creation. It's not in our world. You know, we can come and go as we please out of the city. That This is our home, but we still have a world around it to enjoy. And I don't think God wants us to to dwell inside all the time on lockdown in the heavenly city. I think we can go and enjoy this new creation that he's made. And as we look at the city as someone who attempts in vain to be orderly and organized. And when I do design work or things, I try and make things are all lined up and it bothers me when things get, someone takes the design and develops it and it's not in line. I have to make sure it gets in line. Uh, you know, the little, all the little things add up, right? But God shows that he is orderly in this. Look at the city. There's It's square. It's equally square, as we'll see. It's got three doors on each side. It's got all 12. Everything has a purpose and a reason, not only to get in, but also has the symbolic aspect to it. Um, and we even look at ourselves, right? If you look in the mirror, there's a symmetry. You draw a line down the middle, you're going to see a left and a right, and there's going to be a symmetry there. And there's beauty in that. And sometimes we struggle when we see a difference. We struggle when someone's missing a limb or something that, you know, they're still fine, they're still beautiful, and God... God's sight and still have beautiful uh, reasons and others, but something in us just kind of goes, oh, like something's off there when that symmetry is off. Sometimes you see a picture crooked a little bit on the wall. Don't look behind you. There's probably several crooked on the wall, but we kind of notice that and want to fix that, and that's within us. Um, and I would like to talk about whoever designed this room. What were you thinking? With There's no symmetry. There's no layout. I can, I can fit a couch over there, but I don't really like it. I can't fit it over there. I don't know. And there was a government building in New York, and I think it was telling... Uh, that I guess it was designed between the 60s or 80s, but it looked like a bunch of shoeboxes all piled up on top of each other. And it looked like it was going to fall over at any moment. It was this postmodern design. It was, it was all cool, and it won all these architectural awards. Um, but they were getting ready to tear it down while we were still living there because it leaked, because none of the lines lined up, none of the things matched, none of the things worked because it was just this exercise in, in not being symmetrical and, and trying to make that beautiful. It just, it just wasn't. But this wall has 12 foundations. And I think it's interesting that this gospel uh, that the first 12 preached is what holds up this city. 
that not the words of those men specifically, but the words of God those men were witnesses of to the entire world of the foundations of this city. And Jesus said in Matthew 16, he said to Peter, I say to you, uh, Peter, that on this rock I will build my church, and on the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I believe Jesus was alluding to this in some way as well. And Ephesians 2, 19 says, Now therefore, you're no longer strangers and foreigners, right? We're no longer outside the wall, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Verse 15 says, He who talked to me had a golden rod to measure the city and its gates and wall. The city lies as a square. So we're looking, you know, he's giving us the architectural dimensions here. He says, its length as long as its width, so it's equally wide as is long. He measured the city with the rod, 1,400 miles. Its length and breadth and height are equal. He then measured its wall, 200 feet by the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. The wall was built of jasper. The city was pure gold, as clear as glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all kinds of precious jewels. The second foundation was jasper. The second, sapphire. The sapphire mountains are my favorite. Uh, the third, uh, chalcedony. The fourth, emerald. The fifth, sardonyx. The sixth, sardius. The seventh, chrysolite. The eighth, beryl. The ninth, topaz. The tenth, I, I, I never took mineralogy, but I'm sure these are all cool. Verse 21, the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates of a single pearl. Uh, and the street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. And we'll stop there for a second. So we get the, the architectural diagram. We get the instructions here, uh, what it's built out of, the, the, the cut sheet of, of the materials. And it says that this angel had a golden rod, that he has a divine measuring stick that's perfect in nature. It's a perfect measurement. It's a perfect size. Uh, I was outside doing work the other day. Oh, I was just in the shop. I was doing the fog lights and something else on my truck. And Timmy came in, and he was looking at one of my measuring tapes, and he loves the measuring tape. He was playing with one of the ones the other day. He just loves taking it out and sticking it on his belt and measuring with it. Um, and, uh, you know, I keep getting new ones because they break and they don't bend. And then I never want to spend enough money on one. But there's one that everyone got, that everyone recommended. And I got it and it was awful. It didn't, it didn't stay locked. It bent. And so I ended up getting a different one. I'm like, this is wasting my money on this. But I have one I like. And this angel has one he likes. Um, and he's able to measure this whole place with it. I don't know how long it would take you and I to measure 1,400 miles, take a few days, but the angel on John, he shows that this measurement is it, that it's a square floor plan, 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles. Uh, and I went on Google Maps, and they have a measuring thing, so I went out there, and I was measuring on how far to go. Uh, but it's basically, if you go from the, the western border of Iowa and South Dakota, you can get all the way to the Pacific by Oregon. And from there, all the way down, uh, actually from the same corner in Iowa, all the way down to Mexico City. So if you can imagine that big square there. Uh, or if you're more familiar with the East Coast, if it's from Bangor, Maine to Miami, Florida. And from Miami, Florida to Western Texas, New Mexico. And then back all the way up somewhere deep in the, the hill country of Saskatchewan. Right? So this is the city. And then it's also 1,400 miles tall. Right? So if I lost you there, if you don't believe this, don't believe any of it. And that's fun. that's on you. But this is what it is. And for me, I'm like, this is awesome. I can't wait to see it. And then it goes that far in the sky. And I began to think, well, how high up is space? Well, technically, I guess the scientific boundary measurement is at 62 miles. So only 62 miles. So I don't know how Bozeman is, right? Bozeman's probably a little more than 62 miles. But from there to here, right, is less than space. Uh, and even then, the traces of the atmosphere only go to 621 miles. So if you go further out and you begin to look for little particles of gas and everything, it's only 621 miles. And that's not even halfway to the top of the city. So something's different about this new heaven and new earth. Whether I don't know, maybe the city goes out of the atmosphere into space and you've got this mezzanine level that you can go out on, I don't know. But it's high. And I, boy, as someone who used to work for an elevator company, I hope that there are elevators there. But sincerely, I don't think we're going to need that. I think we're going to be able to move around. Even if we have eternity, I don't think it's going to matter that we have to climb 1,400 levels, whatever it is. Uh, but just like Jesus appeared in the room with the disciples, I think we'll be able to go where we want to go. We want to go over here. We want to go over there. We want to go down there. I know it sounds weird, and maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like it's heaven, right? 
There's nothing's off the table here. But what gets me is that, and I've heard this before, and I, I didn't look up the reference, so forgive me for that. You know, maybe this is fake news, but I don't think it is. Uh, don't fact check me. Well, fact check me if you want. But I believe there's more room in this city for everyone who's ever lived on Earth. Over the 6,000 years of history, the billions of people that are alive now, the, I don't know how many people are alive before the flood, I think we all could fit in here comfortably and not be bumping into each other. That's one of the reasons why I'm so glad we're out of New York and I hate cities is I hate bumping into people. I hate being so close. I hate traffic. Don't want to be anywhere near that stuff. We lived in Hamilton. That's about as big as I wanted with one light in town, right? Now I got to go into town. I got to go to 30 lights just to get into town. But it's fine. I only have to drive 20 minutes. So I can go to Home Depot every day if I want to. But remember that not everyone from history makes it here. In fact, unfortunately, I think most don't. So yes, heaven's going to be full, but we're all going to have mansions. And remember, this is just one city. I don't know how big the new earth is. Is the new earth the same size as our earth? Is it bigger? Is it flat? I don't know. But we're going to have plenty of property and space. And we know that property and space is at a premium now. Just try and buy a house. Look at mortgage rates. For whatever reasons, those are up. And I love that. I love people thinking that the world is overcrowded, and we've said this before, but I don't think they've ever driven through the Midwest. They've never been out west. They just live in their little city, in their little apartment. They go, oh, it's too crowded here. But it's not. God made the world, and he made enough room for all of us, and he's made enough room for us in this city. And the city is crystal clear. Uh, and again, I don't know if you've been on a plane, but, you know, I used to like the, the window seat, but now I don't like it. I don't like being squished in there. I like the aisle seat where I can stick my legs out because I don't give me enough room. But you're going to be happy at any place, whether you're on the outside wall or the inside wall. Wherever your house is in there, I think you're going to be just okay. It says that these gates are made of pearls. And, of course, the joke is, well, how big is the, the oyster? Or the, what is it, oysters that make pearls, right? Or clams? Oysters, right? See, I don't like seafood, so I'm not going to know these things. My dad will tell you what it is, though. Uh, but Matthew 13, 45 says, the, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. That God didn't spare any expense on this city. Not that, you know, God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. But God made the nicest thing possible for us. Beautiful creation and a beautiful city. And the streets and the walls are pure gold. And it says that they're transparent. And pure gold isn't transparent on this, on this world. Maybe it's because we live in a fallen world. This is a better creation. And I think in some sense, God gave us these things of gold and of metal and of pearls as little trinkets of little markers of this future to come. Because they exist in the future. They exist in the new heavens and the new earth. And I think he gave us a little taste of them now in some of the elements that we have. But the things that we think are most valuable now, again, as has been said, are the pavement in heaven. The concrete of heaven is the stuff that we have had wars over, killed each other for before, right? And just a side note, Know that information is the most valuable. It's the oil of our day and age. It's the metadata. It's your personal information. It's where you go. It's what you're doing at any time. That's what the world is killing each other for now. Control over you and I by our information. But let's go on. I don't, definitely don't want to go down that road today. Let's go on and see if we can get through uh, uh, 22 through 27. It says, not chapter 22, verse 22. John says, I saw no temple in the city, which for a Jewish person is probably kind of curious. He's probably looking for the temple, right? Uh, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city has no need of sun or moon or to shine in it, for the glory of God is its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall never be shut by day, for there shall be no night there. They shall bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. No unclean thing shall ever enter it, nor shall anyone who commits abomination or falsehood, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And we remember that Lamb's book of life from last time. And how do we get written in that? Through Jesus' blood. No other way. But John says that there's no temple. Again, like I said, it's probably curious for someone of his day and age. Uh, but, you know, we might go to a temple to worship. I mean, we don't. But someone of another persuasion would. We go to a church to fellowship with God and with people. And truly, we can worship God in spirit and truth. That having church together today, while it may not be the final form, it may not be something we always do, that we can have church here together 
with Jesus. We can worship him in our own, in our room. We can get, in the old days, I used to get a CD player and put on my headphones and worship God in my room. No one would know except you guys now, so there goes my reward. But the point is that I could spend time with God. I didn't need to be around anyone else. Although it's good to be around other people and God commands us to do it, it's not the only time we get with him. But this time in heaven, we're always going to be with him. And we don't need to go to a special place then. We don't need to take the elevator up to the 35th floor, walk 700 miles, second door on the right. There's where we spend time with God. This whole place is about being with God all the time. In fact, Christmas is coming. Looking forward to that one. Uh, maybe you're not ready for it yet and the Christmas music is too much if you go to the mall. But Emmanuel, God with us. And this is what God has wanted all the time. God to be with us and us to be with him. That's what the garden was about. Being with God. And what do we do? We said, nope. Uh, we got a better idea. And I don't think it was better. But it says that the glory of God is this light and the lamb is the lamp. So picture, I don't, you know, there's, I don't think there's much shadow there, but the place is glowing. And when you see Jesus, his glory is there. It's this, as if on the Mount of Transfiguration, right? When he revealed himself. Uh, his clothes were white. Even to John, he was glowing. He had uh, eyes of fire. And it just, I don't know, it's this radical picture of, hey, we don't need light bulbs anymore. We don't need candles anymore. We just have perfect light. We can always see perfectly. We are known as we are known, and we can see and go and do whatever we need to do. It says that out of every nation uh, saved are in there. That there's every tribe and color of people who believed. African, Canadian, Mexican, European, Babylonian, Roman. It doesn't matter. If they believe in Jesus and the Messiah, they're there. And this is what gets me about all these people who try and be racist from the Bible. Hate the Jews. Hate different colors. Say one race is better than the other race when we're all the human race. Because it's, it's not based on scripture at all. God made all people. God made all people in his image, right? And it's going to be beautiful. But I tell you, it's the only place that all the races are ever going to be able to be together and have everything work perfectly. As much as America has been a great experiment in that, and it's worked for a long time in that, and now it's beginning to really not work. It didn't work for a while. It worked for a little bit, and now it's not working again. God doesn't want it to be that way. But it's not going to get that way through policies of equity quote-unquote equity, all these words. It's not going to get that way through enforcement or putting down one race and exalting another. Because again, we're all people. I know that I would get canceled for this, but we're all people. We all bleed the same. The difference between me and the person who looks most differently like me is minuscule amounts of DNA. We're, we're the same. We might have different cultures, different upbringing, different experiences, sure, and I'm not discounting that, but you're a person and I'm a person. And that's how it is. But it says that kings bring glory uh, of their power and nations as a gift. You know, again, I don't think that they have a suitcase full of stuff left over from the old creation. But I think the fact that these people were leaders, were rulers, and have bowed the knee to Jesus as they come in, that brings a level of glory to God. It says, look, even the most powerful people of earth are coming here to be under God's rule in God's city willingly and with gifts of worship. And it reminds me again of Christmas of the three wise men. Bringing in the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh to the little baby. These, these smart men, these wise men, these powerful men came to sit at the feet of a baby. Right? Babies are cute. We see babies on TV all the time. We get baby fever. And then two minutes later, we go, nope, no more baby fever. <laughs> right? But you come in and they give their glory to God there. And it says that the gates don't need to be shut. That while they have a door, while there's hinges made out of pearl, I don't know how that works. Is it a slice? Whatever. They don't have to be shut. While they can be shut, they won't be shut. If you remember in the ark, who shut the door on the ark? God shut the door on the ark. It wasn't Noah. And now God's gates are open. We can come and go as we please. We don't need to wait for a certain day of the week. We don't need to wait for his return. We want to go in. We can go in. We want to come out. We want to come out. And it's never going to be locked. Right? You know, I, probably, I don't know that I need to lock all the windows and doors all the time here. Maybe it's just my East Coast upbringing. Uh, but I probably do. But... I still do it. I remember coming here and learning about uh, and loving it, just being amazed. People leaving their trucks running at the supermarket in the middle of the winter because it's not going to get stolen, at least in the Bitterroot, right? And I'm sure other places as well. But just being so foreign to me that it was so safe that you could do that, right? 
And that's what this place is. It's going to be safe. You can leave your heavenly chariot running. I don't know how that works. But I think this is a reminder that the only way into this new creation, new heaven, is through your name being in the Lamb's book of life. No works, no bribes, no feet of life. No matter even if you're a king, it doesn't get you in there. Only the blood of Jesus gets us access here. And as we close, let's read the... Just because I think it goes with this better than going with what comes after. Uh, let's read the first part of chapter 22. He says, Then he showed me a pure river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb in the middle of its street. On each side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There shall be no more curse. The throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. Night shall be no more. They need no lamp nor the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. That we see this river coming from the throne of God and from the Lamb. This river flowing out. Right? The throne is no longer before this sea of crystal, which we saw in other places. The throne is now has a river flowing from it. Uh, if you remember rivers in the Bible, uh, Garden of Eden had rivers, and they named the Tigris and Euphrates after these. We saw the Jordan River uh, healing. A king dipped seven times in the river to be healed of leprosy. Baptisms in rivers. Uh, the Israelites crossing the Jordan River into the Promised Land. All these pictures of rivers. Rivers, flowing rivers bring life. They, you know, commerce goes down them. Uh, there's talk of trouble with commerce now because the Mississippi is at lower levels apparently than it was. Uh, but life comes out of these rivers that still water gets stagnant and it's unhealthy, but a flowing river brings life. Um, and I tell you, again, love being here. I love living here. It feels like home to me. But the rivers here are so much better than the rivers back east. They're clean. You can see through them. I mean, obviously in the spring when it, the mud kicks up, they get dark. But you go to a pond, you go to a lake, you go to a stream, you go to a creek, you go to whatever on the east coast, and it's brown. You know, stepping anywhere is a step of faith because you don't know what you're going to step on. But out here, you can see, and it's clear, and it's crystal, and it's uh, cool. But on each side of this river was a tree of life. And again, this isn't one tree. This is multiple of the species of tree of life. That there's trees on this side and trees on this side, and you can go and freely eat of the fruit of the tree. You don't have to worry about it now. I believe it's, I don't know that you need to keep eating of it to live for eternity. I don't think it works that way, but I think if you want to think about it that way, it kind of can, that you go and you can eat and get your health back and get your vitality back. Uh, not that you'd ever lose it because that's a result of sin, but I think if we try and compartmentalize, it might be a way to understand it. But again, this is the one we decided to skip from in the garden. That God said, you can eat of any tree in the Garden of Eden, including the tree of life, but don't eat from that one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It's not tree of knowledge. We shorten it to that. It's not that God didn't want us to know things and walk around foolish and stupid and uneducated. But he said, don't eat from the knowledge of good and evil because I know that you can't handle knowing what good is and knowing what evil is. Because for you to know what evil is, it would corrupt you. God knows all about what evil is and it doesn't corrupt him. When we, that's why God tells us to be uh, simple concerning evil, but wise concerning good. And I think that's a big reason today why the world is so wicked, because wickedness is available to us at every turn. That we can pick up your phone and you want to know about any kind of wickedness in the world, you can get fully educated on it in 30 seconds. There's all sorts of things quickly available. And the more we seek it, the more we look at it, the more we know it, the more it corrupts us in our society. And more than that, now they're teaching it to children. Now they're forcing it upon little kids who don't even know how to tie their shoes. There's a reason. But I say that because God did not want us to eat from that tree. He wanted us to live forever, but instead we chose death. And now we get to have life and life eternal. And we can eat from the tree that we can't eat from now because Jesus has protected us from the results of sin. But again, sustainable life. We don't need to cultivate it. We don't need to sweat. We don't need to drive away pests. And Psalm 1, 1 through 3 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf 
also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Don't you want to prosper in life? Well, be like a, a tree planted by the river, getting enough water, getting enough nutrients, always having what it needs. The grass over there in that pasture, right over there, Ash says it looks fake, and she was amazed by it the other day. It gets sun all the time. It gets plenty of water. Uh, the previous owner had horses, so there's plenty of fertilizer over there. Well, the grass back there, dry, dead, different, right? It's about where that grass is growing. I think it's interesting it says it's for the healing of the nations. But there's still some memory, at least this, the sense that we came from different nations. And that we need to be healed in order to be one. That all the wars, all the fighting, all the differences can now be made one in Jesus. And as we close here, I want to read just this part of com the commentary because I think it's telling and I think it's helpful. Uh, from David Guzik's commentary, he quotes a couple of different guys. and He says, the terms holy and new distinguish the city because it is holy and new. It is different from any earthly city. The name Jerusalem gives its continuity with earth, especially with the place of our redemption. So the new Jerusalem reminds us that there was an old Jerusalem and there's a connection. He says, it is significant that the glorious dwelling place of God and his people is described as the holy city. Cities are places with many people and people interacting with each other. This isn't isolation, but a perfect community of the people of God. That God wants us not to be isolated, but to be in a community. And that community right now is the church. And I, I don't even like using that word community because it's been like taken and I don't know. But if we look at cities today, we want to get out of cities because they're falling apart. They're violent. You look at L.A., New York, anywhere, they're falling apart. He says, The Christian concept of a heaven as a city, a place of life, activity, interest, people, is very different from the Hindu conception of the blank nirvana. The consummation of the Christian hope is supremely social, he says. It is no flight alone of the alone, but the life of the redeemed community of heaven. You know, other religions all about your own journey, but it's about us. We want to encourage each other to all get there. And I do better if you do better, right? Not I do better if I take from you, right? That's the mentality of the Christian. Man has never known a community unmarred by sin. I think this is important. Adam and Eve only knew a limited community, and community in a larger context only came long after the fall. Here in the New Jerusalem, we have something totally unique, a sinless, pure community of righteousness, a holy city. And problems arise when believers expect this kind of community now or fail to realize that it only comes down out of heaven. This city is not and never can be an achievement of man, but only from a gift of God. And if we look throughout history, uh, you know, even the founding of America, the founders knew that this was only going to work by a right and moral people, that apart from that, it would not work. And they're right. Apart from that, it is not working. And even then, the early church in Jerusalem, they tried to say, well, let's just all put on our money together and we'll have a nice communist community. And they ended up broke and all the other churches had to support them because they weren't sustainable. So we get that off. Not that we shouldn't help each other, help our neighbor, uh, lend a hand, lend money, give without wanting it back, right? But we're not to all come into one person, especially under the government, when the government wants you to do it. It's robbery. And even with the Antichrist kingdom, they clamor for this utopia, this great reset of putting us all together into one wonderful society. It's not going to be that way. When they're feeding your kids in, in the Netherlands bugs at school, the rich people ain't going to be eating those bugs. But anyway, no more curse. The sin was the curse, remember? Nakedness from God, separation, pain, suffering, sorrow, hurt, that all the stuff, like Jesus said, is wiped away. There's no more tears, no more sorrow. Because when those things exist, a perfect society can't exist, especially when there are differences. It's hard enough to get along with people that are like you, let alone very different from you. But he says that we will serve God forever, living there, living life, enjoying this city, enjoying the new creation. Again, how high does this atmosphere go? I don't know. There's no sun, there's no moon, there's no stars anymore. Those were all given to us for, for days and for seasons and for years. Um, and also a picture of God in a sense. But we're going to reign with him forever. That this is it. This is heaven. There's nothing else after this, right? There's no next level after this. That this is our destination. That the Bible says we're pilgrims and sojourners passing through this life. Well, this is the life that we should be living for. The life that we're passing through where, why am I going to want to hang on to this cheap TV I got at Best Buy or Amazon, wherever I got it, when I can go to heaven and the streets are made of gold 
And I can't even afford an ounce of gold right now, right? Why would I hang on to any of this? There's not going to be another rebellion. That's all done away with. Everyone's locked away in hell forever, sadly, as, we, as we've seen. But there's not going to be another new creation. This creation is not going to fall. It's not going to be corrupted. It's not going to need to be destroyed. And we'll always be together. It'll always be solid. It'll always be firm. It'll always be safe. It'll always be holy. It'll always be joyous. You know, we were talking the other day about Papa being in heaven. We know that we're going to go see him there one day. But this is eternity future. And this is what it's like. That God doesn't want it to be a mystery. God doesn't want us to not know what we're in for, like the gods of some other religions. You don't even know if you're going to go to heaven until you die. And then, oh, I guess I don't want to let you in. No, God loves us. He's gone before us. He's prepared a place for us. And as we're going to read next time, he's coming soon for us. Amen? Amen. So God, we do ask that you'd help us prepare us to be ready. Thank you that even just giving us the word prepares us. But God, may we prepare our hearts before you and, and cling to you and hang on to you. And God, bring as many people as we can. Bring those people we work with. Bring our family. Bring the people that we bump into in the cities. Save the people in New York. And do a revival in California and all those places. God, uh, before it slides into the sea. Uh, but God, we pray that you truly would come soon. And uh, even, God, use us until you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So may God bless you and keep you and his face shine upon you. As we know, it's going to shine forever. There is a vineyard of the Lord. There is a vineyard for our soul. With all our troubles left behind the door, we drink first life.